0: Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. We had quite the busy week this past week. A lot of interviews we recorded. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we do. So
0: pretty exciting. Yeah, we
1: do. Yeah, we did.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we recorded Uh, three interviews coming up. So we're really excited um, for everybody to hear them. They'll be coming out over the next uh, few months here. Our first one will actually be out next week. We talked to AJ from Disney Food Blog really excited oh about oh my that. goodness
1: yeah I mean everybody knows that I love food and talking to AJ was a dream so I really look forward to that hearing that one
0: yes and and actually if you if you can't wait another week and you want to listen to uh, that interview or even our other interviews early we'll be releasing those early on our patreon so the interview with AJ is up there now and then we'll be releasing uh, the other two interviews we did we talked with Chris Lucas and Chris Smith two Chris's <laughs> They both authored books about Disney history and backstories and really just interesting episodes and a lot of insight from them. So we'll be releasing those, you know, a few weeks um, early as well. So head over to our Patreon if you're interested in getting those early.
1: Yeah, they were definitely fast, all fascinating interviews. And um, yeah, I mean, we had a a long succession of interviews with Chris's and every single one of them was on point.
0: Yes, it was. So, very exciting. So, really excited for everybody to listen to that. So
1: Are we excited? Yes, we are excited.
0: (laughs) I think I've said it enough.
1: It's like that one episode that we said incredible a whole bunch of times.
0: You mean like every episode, but... (laughs) (laughs) This week, we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian, because this is the way. Season 2 is coming out on Friday, so we want to do a recap of Season 1. Before we get into that, though, talk through some Disney news. So, California released the guidance for when theme parks can open. And it seems like Disney and Universal and all the major theme parks in California are not going to be open for quite Close a long time. Indefinitely. Yes. It's they they can reopen, but only when they are in I think they have a color system in California, so only when they're in the lowest grade kind of of this pandemic. And so it is going to be, it looks like, months until. Again, and it's not just Disney, but it's California, it's Legoland, it's all the, the major theme parks out there are going to be able to reopen. And, you know, we're not here to kind of talk about whether that was the right or wrong decision. I know, you know, there's a lot of that on the internet of, you know, people complaining that that's terrible, people saying, hey, we're in the pandemic, these theme parks shouldn't be open anyways. You know, we're not here to kind of discuss what's right or what's wrong. I mean, you know, everybody has their opinion on it. But just kind of wanted to put that out there that, yeah, it seems like Disneyland is not opening for a long time. The interesting thing, though, is Disney is now kind of finding creative ways to utilize the theme parks since Mm -hmm. they're not going to be open. So downtown Disney has been open for, I want to say, a few months now Mm -hmm. um, for shopping. And they just announced that they're actually going to be opening DCA as an extension of downtown Disney and they're gonna be opening um, the shops on Buena Vista Street and a few of the snack carts and even a few of the sit-down restaurants. So there'll be sit-down dining available at Smoke Jumpers Grill and Carthay Circle Lounge. So hmm. because the theme parks can't be open in a theme park capacity, they're kind of making them a shopping experience. So kind of almost like a more of a, you know, kind of Disney Springs experience. I think, you know, just again, another another place for you to go to shop and eat so again it's, it's it's interesting to see that they're doing this
1: yeah i mean are they charging admission for that or they're just letting you know it,
0: it's all it's just gonna be part of downtown disney you'll enter through downtown disney i mean they're they're right connected right there so yeah it's an easy way to get in and out so yeah it's not like you need to pay admission they really oh. just want you to come in and shop and eat food there really
1: yeah I, i'm wondering how they're going to prevent people from going further i mean they're gonna have to come up with some sort of a roadblock and some security to keep people to go from going i mean i think that's the easy
0: thing that i believe the the buena vista street and we've only been to dca once once i believe that's kind of just the main street as soon as you walk into the park yeah and so i imagine they'll have that open and then yeah just kind of have barriers and security at the end of that i think that's pretty easy to kind of block off right there yeah um so you know anybody there i think it's it's going to be a interesting experience to kind of go into an empty theme park just for shopping. Um, I know downtown Disney has been very crowded. I don't know crowded, but there's been a lot of people going. There's a lot of interest there. So I think it makes sense that they're trying to expand the offerings. Um, and also it, it helps, I think kind of alleviate some of the crowding too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you figure more things that they can open up the more of those people who are able to go back to work. Also, again, you're going to at least be able to go to a couple of the restaurants that people are missing. Um, so it kinda satiates that. I mean, it's still not the theme parks, but I, I do think that this is a this is a, a nice solution.
0: Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. I mean, a lot of cast members, right. you know, are out of work. We just we actually just completed our uh, 5K, Carly Weisel's group, the, yes. the Foamly 5K was this past weekend. So we just uh, finished running that. And the, raised- and the
1: benefits of that go to uh, help the the cast members.
0: Yeah, so the, the benefits go to the cast member pantry in Orlando and the Second Harvest Food Bank in California. I, I want to say they raised close to $20,000 yeah, with this 5K. Yeah, I think that you told me that. Yeah, so it's incredible. I, I think the, um, the 5K and the raffle, I don't think – you can donate to that anymore, but if, if anybody is interested in helping out cast members, um, definitely check out Carly yeah, I was gonna say um, Instagram. Been, she promotes a lot. but She's
1: been doing a great job of pushing that.
0: But you could just donate directly to, like we said, the Cast Member Pantry or the Second Harvest Food Bank uh, of Southern California. So yeah, that t- turned out really successful, yeah. I think, for them. So that was pretty amazing. So got out uh, running this past weekend.
1: Good job, Carly.
0: I was going to say good job me running, but... <laughs>
1: Yes. Uh, yeah because you you organized it no okay and another thing in, in disney news is a new trailer came out for raya and the last dragon yeah i
0: think this is actually the first trailer i believe i think this is the first official trailer for the movie
1: and let me say it looks weird um yeah the, the it animation a style different look
0: yeah the animation style of the the people in it Looked a little strange, and I don't want to say strange. It just it didn't look necessarily as good as some of their previous movies, and I almost wonder if the animation is just not complete on it.
1: Right, that's kind of what we we both we watched it a few times, and I said it almost it looks very video gamey. So you know, whenever I'm playing a video game, I feel like that's about the quality that you get in some of the the action scenes. Maybe not when you're playing. So I, I am curious to know if they're going to refine Raya more but then there were other scenes that there were like the tribes it looked better in those scenes but when it was just her it was a little much
0: yeah so let's take a step back real quick though so let's explain so ryan the last dragon is going to be disney's next animated movie it's scheduled to come out in march of 2021 which we'll talk about that in a second but this is disney's um, first southeast asian uh, princess so you know a lot of people are very excited about this story Raya is voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, who was in the Star Wars sequel movies, and so people are really excited about this movie. I will say, I'm with you, from the trailer, I think it looked good. I, I think it looks like a good movie, but yeah, it, I'm not sure if it was just like the animation wasn't fully dialed in yet, because there were some scenes that looked incredible, like the water flowing up the steps looked yeah. like real water like i had to go back because it looked like actual water but yeah, the the people especially if you compare them to like moana or frozen they just they didn't look quite there yet
1: it almost looked like um if you look at the different disney channel shows that have been out like i feel like she looks very much like um like uh doc mcstuffins or something. there's think, something about i think
0: that is i think you're being harsh to it it does not look that bad it doesn't look that good though
1: and that's the, that's I, the, I, issue. Disagree. the part, I, I disagree. I disagree with you. I think everything else looked good. Like the backgrounds looked good. Her little um, character, which I'm not sure if it's supposed to be like an armadillo or if it's a bug or if it's just some sort of mythical creature. Um, I'm very interested in her little sidekick. But yeah, I, I don't think that the, she looked that good.
0: Yeah, I think you're being overly harsh. I'm going to disagree with you there. It is not... It, it is far and above a Disney Channel quality animation do i think it is the level of like i said frozen and Moana or something no not quite but again it's a trailer they have six months to get it right now here's my question do we really think this movie is coming out in theaters in march of 21
1: no i don't think it's going to come out in theaters in march of 2021
0: yeah i, I don't either i think this one is a clear favorite for direct to disney plus mm-hmm. i mean just just based on the trailer it seems like a good movie i'm not sure that it is something it it doesn't necessarily look like something that they have to release in theaters I don't think in four to five months theaters are going to be back and I think with soul moving to Disney plus in December if that does especially well I would not be surprised if they then say hey that March date we're not going to have Rye. it's going to be on Disney plus especially with the whole restructuring and focus on streaming that they announced a few weeks ago. And we kind of talked about this. I think a lot of those animation movies make sense to go to Disney Plus because it kind of feeds into that key demographic of you know, parents with children. And you want to keep Disney Plus because you're going to get new movies that your kids are going to want to see. And people really aren't probably going to be able to go to theaters. So I, I think this one... I'm actually surprised we're still saying March. I think this one... Is a is a Disney Plus release, or or maybe theater and Disney Plus at the same time? But I I don't see this one just being a theatrical release in March. I'm excited to see it though.
1: I just think that in the trailer, like there's a dragon. She has to she's training to protect a dragon. The last dragon. She's training to protect the, the dragon stone, but then all the clans start to argue, and then she has to find the dragon in order to bring them together. I feel like that part wasn't fleshed out for me. So it didn't excite me about the movie. I, I think that, but I think that Disney doesn't always have the best trailers. Like Frozen 2 trailer told me nothing about the movie. Yeah.
0: It's also got a Mad Max vibe to it. She's <laughs> riding through the desert. It's like Disney's Mad Max Fury Road um, mixed with Disney movies. So so it'll it'll be an interesting twist here. But again, yeah. it's the first trailer. I think we'll probably yeah. get another trailer. I think we will. I bet you get another trailer around the same time Soul comes out. Probably. yeah. And then that's going to tell you some more. And that's probably when they're also announced. Hey, by the way, this is on Disney Plus too. So keep that subscription that you got <laughs> right. for Soul. So right. let's get into The Mandalorian. Season two comes out on Friday. Thought it would be a good idea to give kind of a brief recap of season one. What are kind of the key things you need to remember going into it? We kind of started rewatching season one, got through about half of it or so. Kind of through the key points. So, wanted to talk about that. But then also, you know me, I love my crazy theories <laughs> and, and to try to guess what's going to happen. So, kind of want to talk about where we think season two might go. And also, re watching season one, like so many more questions came up of like, they didn't answer any of this. And like, there, there's there's more there that I, like, I wonder if they're going to go into it in season two. So I thought it would kind of be good idea just to kind of go through that this week.
1: And definitely, I mean, this is an episode that <laughs> I need, because it is a little difficult to kind of recall. It happened a year ago, and you only got one episode at a time. So this is a much needed episode, I'm sure for a lot of people, me included.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, The Mandalorian came out a year ago, but it came out when Disney Plus started. So it's kind of hard to believe that Disney Plus is a year old already. You know, yeah. Disney Plus is celebrating its one-year anniversary. Mandalorian celebrating its one-year anniversary. And I also read somewhere that they're already working on Season 3. So I think that's a good sign. Yeah, it is. We'll see. We'll see how Season 2 goes. I, I have some concerns based on some things I've heard. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. So Season 1, again, just to kind of give everybody a recap, it centers on... Uh, Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian and the child who everybody calls Baby Yoda. (laughs) The Mandalorian is a bounty hunter. And what I found really interesting re-watching it, knowing how it ends, is the first episode really establishes the Mandalorian, or Mando as he's called, as this kind of, like, no-nonsense bounty hunter. He's
1: cold. Yes. Um, he's very cold in those first few episodes. You know, you get the the sense that he's all business. And, I mean, even in the first... The very first scene when he comes out and he... Yeah, that bar scene. Yeah, the bar scene where you almost think he's defending the one character. And then he's actually there to collect the bounty on him. And then the guy tries to betray him and he freezes him in carbonite. Like, he is not there to mess around. He is very much... You know, like kind of just a cold calculated bounty hunter, which is kind of the appeal of the show because he learns through, you know, his contact with the child to not be so thoughtless.
0: Yeah, and I gotta say, I love that Mandalorian theme. His theme is so great. Whenever that started playing in the first episode, I was like, yes, I love this <laughs> theme. I, I missed it so much. But I think one of the interesting things is, yeah, it establishes him as this kind of tough bounty hunter no-nonsense guy
1: i mean he can take on insane amounts of people i think there's one point i think it's in the first or second episode where they say you know there's four of us versus one of you and he says i like those odds." yeah with the stormtroopers Mm -hmm. yeah
0: exactly but then they give you kind of these hints of his backstory and you see and throughout the season you learn that he was a uh, a child who droids destroyed his village and his family which
1: explains his hatred for droids
0: exactly and he was then uh, they call them foundlings and so he was found and taken in by the mandalorians and that's why he is a mandalorian now so that that kind of explains also i think why he connects so much with the child because you know as a bounty hunter you're out there you know, he's like the intergalactic dog, the bounty hunter. You're out there, (laughs) you're, you're out there, but you're getting like people that have done something. They're adults. They're, you know, whatever they've done, they knew what they were doing. They did something wrong. They skipped bail. They know he's coming for them. You know, there's, there's a reason why someone's after them. And I think when he finds the child, the, the first thing he says, when he looks at it is he goes, it's a child, you know, it, it, he heard it was 50 he thought it was an adult he said it's a child and i think he immediately then goes this kid hasn't done anything he it, it can't talk it can't walk for itself i think he he saw himself in it to an extent i think that's why it turned so
1: quick well yes and i think that really there's that the the third episode is really critical so if you're thinking about really rewatching an episode the second and the third episode are the probably two of the most critical ones because in episode 2 is when he fights the mudhorn but then as soon as he collects the bounty on the child in episode 3 the sin when he goes to the armor armorer she wants to give him the mudhorn as his signet which we had learned in a couple previous episodes he didn't have and so he has all of this Um, you know all these riches that he got but then he said you know she said you fought the mudhorn this should be your signet and he said but I didn't earn it and she said well how did you not earn it and he explains that he wasn't the one who defeated it and she asks, well why would your bounty um, help you and he said well my bounty didn't know it was my enemy and that that particular line in itself made me really think that that might have been something that really started the wheels turning in his head a lot because he realized that he kind of betrayed again, like you were saying, the child who did absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah, and, and he is all about, I mean, what, what he's doing as a bounty hunter, and even in that first episode, whenever he collects his first bounty, he he brings the money to the armor, and he even says, leave some for the foundlings. And so he, he is all about making sure the foundlings are taken care of, the children that are like him that were you know, separated from their families or, or in, you know, war torn areas and they were taken in by the Mandalorians. And so he's always about protecting them. And that's kind of the reason why he is a bounty hunter. You know, he's good at it one, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he's trying to support uh, you know, his family group and, and within this, you know, the Mandalorian it's, it's a religion. It's not necessarily a race of people it is essentially a, a religion. Um, so, you know, anybody can kind of become a Mandalorian, but again, it's – yeah, when he sees the child and he realizes this child did nothing wrong, there's no reason for anybody to be after it. Again, it's kind of like a he, you know He takes it in and wants to protect it. Yeah, and you can tell immediately when he turns the child over to the client that he has those regrets. Like almost immediately he has those regrets, and he wants to get on to the next – bounty almost immediately and they even tell him like just relax like you've you've gotten you know paid more you got the biggest bounty that nobody could ever get just enjoy it but he's he's trying to keep his mind off of it Right,
1: he's unable to do that and then it all is brought home in that scene and again they have a character that you can't see facial expressions in so they have to do things with him they do
0: such an incredible job yeah they have to do
1: things with him to show those the emotion without you being able to see the emotion on his face and so when he goes back into his ship he turns it on he's ready to go and then he notices that the little knob isn't on his um like the one stick and it was the one that that the child was playing with he holds it and you can see you can't see the contemplation in his face but you almost can and he turns the ship off and turns around and goes back for it so I mean things like that that's what really I mean that's the bleeding heart of this series is just the fact that you know they're able to to just humanize him so much, it, it's almost even more incredible than you think of, like than than the rug in Aladdin. How they can make you know the magic carpet and and the legs in Onward. Um, they do it without almost any sort of movement, even. And yeah, it's it's incredible.
0: Yeah, these you know rewatching this, it, it is pretty amazing. I think why this show landed so well when a lot of the more recent Star Wars movies. Haven't maybe necessarily landed so well, is because they really kept it grounded. Yes, and and when you watch the the behind the scenes the Disney gallery of this, they kind of talk about this of how they, you know, they took it back to a lot of the practical effects. Um You know, Dave Filoni was an executive producer on here. He he was very involved in the animated series, so he he very much knows Star Wars. It's it sounds like John Favreau was a big Star Wars fan, so they they really tried to hearken back to the original look and feel that George had, but they also kept these episodes like really tightly focused. I mean, they're about a half an hour long. So you never kind of get bored of what's happening. I mean, what, what I found amazing is episode two and I timed it. It's over 11 minutes before a single word is spoken. So there is a lot. So to your point, you know, when you can't see the character's face, he's not even talking a lot in some of these episodes yeah. and, it, and it's conveying a lot of emotion and action, but it's a quick 11 minutes. I mean, you don't, you don't think like, Oh my gosh, is somebody going to say anything? But, but after a while I, I like notice, I'm like, nobody's talked yet. It's just, they can do so much and, and they did just keep it. They kept it so grounded and they didn't try to start season one with, we're going to have 30 characters you have to pay attention to. They really have, you know, four kind of total.
1: The thing I enjoy about it most, you know, sometimes I get with most other of this, like the rest of the Star Wars franchises, I get really distracted by all the politics behind it. Um, and I think it's, it's really hard for me to keep track of and the different names for some reason, they just don't stick in my mind. The Mandalorian just keeps it so simple because it's, it's just again, like you said, the story of mostly one character and then the auxiliary characters that kind of pop up around him, but him trying to do the right thing. And that's, I think that's maybe why it lands so well, is that again it has this really strong heart behind it that kind of drives through the whole eight episodes and is propelling it forward into the next season.
0: Right, and and you know by the end you do have a, a few extra characters. So you know mm-hmm. you have Mandalorian and the child. You have uh, Carl Weathers' uh, character who's the leader of the the bounty hunter guild, and you have so that's grief carga. And then you have uh, Gina. Carano's character, Cardoon uh, Cara And so it's kind of the four of them and that's what's going into season two. But that's why I kind of made a mention this earlier, but that's kind of why I'm a little bit concerned going into season two because Jon Favreau has mentioned that he kind of sees the Mandalorian in a Game of Thrones kind of light where season one, a Game of Thrones, all of the characters were together. And then they kind of split apart. Every other season was going kind of back and forth between these separate storylines when nobody was really together again. And I think he you know he kind of mentions that that he, he sees that with this show that season two and going forward is going to kind of expand the universe. I mean there's already talk of a lot of other characters. I think right. Timothy Oliphant's rumor to be in this, Rosario Dawson's um rumor. I don't think anybody's officially confirmed say, yet I for season two.
1: According to screen rant, she is I, I think
0: I think a lot of I think a lot of people have reported it, and I think it's kind of an openly known secret, but I don't think Lucasfilm or Disney has officially yes. confirmed any yeah. of them yet. Yeah, we'll um, talk
1: about that in a bit.
0: But so what, what, I'm, what I'm getting to is they're going to add a lot of characters, and I think you're going to kind of start to get these more spread out storylines. I mean, there's, there's talk, is Boba Fett going to be in this? He was kind of rumored and you know kind of shown potentially one of the episodes so that's my concern though is that they're going to take this really tightly focused character drama and is it going to get too spread out to really really pay attention to
1: okay so we kind of covered one through three you know the, the the beginning of it through basically him going back to get the child and take the child and Far away. So this kind of leaves us up to episode four. Well, he
0: basically goes on the run. I mean, he's really yes. not trying to take well, the child anywhere. He's just trying to outrun everybody else right. going well, after him. Well,
1: after he takes the child, then all you see all of the bounty hunters. Um, they are little, and I don't know what they're called, but they're little, they're
0: little fobs. They're basically
1: like the things that they give you at the Olive Garden when you go in. You know, they're little tracking fobs. <laughs> yeah, That's essentially what they and are. And then they would buzz. Well, they buzzed for him. So now we know he's on the run at the end of by the end of episode three. So going into episode four, he goes to a planet. To hide out, a very like peaceful and um like agrarian, very
0: remote planet. Yeah, yeah planet. He, he thinks he'll be kind of out of the way there, and that is where he meets uh, Cara Dune. And yeah, th- th- this is an interesting episode one because of, of her introduction.
1: No, this is an episode one.
0: <laughs> and then you also have the the ATST, which was you know, really nice. That was kind of one of their very heavy special effects episodes. I think it was really well done. But it also kind of teaches Mando that he, with the child, he's kind of made this trade-off in his life that n- now that he is kind of sworn to protect this child, he's almost never going to be free kind of thing. Like, people are always going to be after him. And that whole yeah second half of the season and there are some like side mission episodes where he's really maybe not necessarily a threat, but it kind of always keeps coming back that, you know, even people that he thinks are helping him are gonna turn on him quickly when they realize he has the child. I mean he, he's trying to help um the the one guy get into the guild by going after the assassin uh, played by Ming-Na Wen. I believe her name is like Finnick something.
1: Her last name is uh, it's fennec shen
0: yeah so so he he's helping you know somebody to try to get in the guild by so bringing this, her in yeah this is episode five now right and then you know they kind of both turn on mando because she tells the the would-be bounty hunter that you know the price on mando is even higher and so you know ultimately again it's just like everybody is, is turning on him no matter where he goes even when he thinks he's somewhat safe he can't even really be safe and episode five is interesting too because at the end that's when you kind of get the boots where it looks like that could be boba fett coming back and so mm. and that's never kind of really brought up again so i think that uh Ming-Na wen's character may play into future seasons as well because that that takes place on tatooine um, but then even he you know he's helping his some old friends break somebody out of jail uh, in one of the episodes and they ultimately turn on him as well because they find out he's wanted and it's it's this really thing that he can't i believe that's episode six and it, it just becomes this whole thing where he really just can't escape what is going to happen to him
1: right so yeah the there's like that the group of episodes yeah right before the finale that is really the realization that comes out of them is it's just he can't return to the way things were and he can't really trust anyone because they're going they're they're worth so much money.
0: Yeah, and that's what kind of I think leads him into you know the last couple episodes where he essentially comes up with this plan where he's going to like turn himself in because there's he kind of realizes there's no outrunning this. And now obviously he kind of has a plan to kind of take everybody down in the end. And and this is, you know, what's interesting here, especially the finale. I think the finale was a, a really good episode because or episode seven and eight but it kind of establishes Giancarlo esposito's moff gideon as kind of like the ultimate villain who's the one like really pulling the strings. so you kind of find out that the client was almost acting as an intermediary and gideon was a former kind of secret police for the empire and so you find out he's kind of ultimately the one who wants the child and, and i think that that plays into some potential theories which we can get into of what is the child baby Yoda's true origins and what do they really want with him knowing that that Gideon is kind of the ultimate one because it does seem like he wants the child alive where kind of the client seemed indifferent to whether he lived or died but I think those last couple episodes were were great because it, it establishes that to kind of kick off season two, and then you also get a lot of growth. I mean, Mando finally lets IG Eleven uh, help him. He lets a droid help him. He takes his helmet off. We see his face for the first time, right. which is something they build up to that nobody should see his face.
1: Well, and also once you take your helmet off, I believe it by the Mandalor- Mandalorian Creed, you are no longer a Mandalorian.
0: Well, no human has seen it, so it's a droid. I think it's kind of like a loophole yeah, they have like loop. there. Yeah,
1: you're so. right. You're right. <laughs>
0: And then obviously then, you know, it ends with kind of the big revelation that Gideon also has the Darksaber, which is, I believe, the first time we've seen this in live action. It has kind of a a better history in the animated series, which it seems to be a lot of what they're doing here kind of ties the animated series, which I'm not surprised by because again, Dave Filoni was so involved in the animated series and now he's kind of an executive producer on this show that... He would kind of pull those things in there, so kind of the whole Mandalorian, the dark saber, a lot of that stuff was really established in the Clone Wars and Rebels series.
1: And I would, I mean, honestly, I know this is the purpose of this episode is so you don't have to go back and rewatch, but I was just shocked by the number of things that they tied together in a nice little package that you don't really realize like TV shows are meant to be binged. Um, because you didn't really, I didn't really realize a lot of the little callbacks they had from early in the season. I mean, it was only eight, eight episodes, but early on, you know, Bando makes a comment about how he needs to get a, a jetpack, And by the end in this episode, the armor gives him a jetpack. Same thing with IG 11 in the first scene. And I think it's episode, uh, episode one, when he meets IG 11, IG Eleven tries to initiate the self destruct so many different times, and he keeps telling him not to. And by the end of you know episode eight, IG Eleven has to do that in order to draw the fire and let he him to escape. So I mean, there's so many things that get called back. It's really just a work of genius.
0: It's really good, and it and it kicks off again, kind of that that season two where now Mando's mission is to get the child back to his own kind. Um, so to that that Yoda species and and you know now he's he's kind of I guess on the run again but but maybe not quite as much
1: I do think we would be a little remiss if we didn't mention that quill which is the character who helps the Mandalorian get the child in the first place whenever he lands on that on that planet and um yeah he's an ugnaught yeah yeah um when he lands there and he's the one that always ends his his speech with you know whatever he says With not always, but oftentimes, with I have spoken, he loses his life during that last episode, um, which was a big bummer because his character was fascinating. I loved him. So I'm hoping we see more of his kind, or maybe he didn't actually die, but I don't think that's the case. No, they buried him. I'm pretty sure he's dead. Yeah, yeah, he he got buried.
0: Looking forward to season two, we already talked about it a little bit that it sounds like the storylines are going to get a little bit more spread out, a little bit. More sprawling with some more characters. I do think watching season one raised some questions, and I don't really think they answered much about kind of the origins of the child and re-watching it, a lot of questions came up. You know, I wonder if some of them are clues to what's gonna happen in season two, season three going forward. And I hope it's things they answer. And I do think, you know, we talked about again. It does seem to have some connection to the animated series so that may play into some of it too but what I kind of found interesting is if the child is this extreme force user why would like Luke or somebody not have seeked him out he would have definitely felt his presence in the force and rewatching mm-hmm. rewatching episode 1 the child is you know he's in this building and i believe those people there were actually guarding him that IG-11 and Mando kind of killed to get to the child. It seemed like they were there protecting him. And so it so my question is Ooh. who who were those people? Like who were those mercenaries? Was it I mean, was it somebody that Luke put there? Was it the Empire because it does seem to be that The child recognized the stormtroopers when he was when Mando turned him over in Episode Three. Like he seemed to recognize them and kind of knew what was going to happen.
1: Right. And
0: so, and so the question becomes: Well, why does the former Empire want the child? How do they have his tracking code? Like they like they don't know his. They don't know any information about him, but they have that tracking code. So they they clearly have had him in their presence before that they're able to track him somehow. So it brings up a lot of questions about that.
1: Yeah. You bring up a good point about how, you know, essentially Mando possibly took him out of protective custody only to throw him kind of into the fire to then become his new protective custody. I hadn't really thought about that because I wasn't really thinking about it from that perspective of their you know, I'm thinking Mando's the good guy, which at the very beginning, Mando really isn't the good guy. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I know I think that there's definitely a lot of people that are rumored even going forward that he has contact with that are, are rumored to be coming back. So one of those is Mayfield, which was a human and one of the mercenaries that Mando worked with on a mission. Eventually he betrays mando but he gets locked up and he's supposed to be coming back so probably there's going to be some sort of revenge situation going on there so that's something that you know you have somebody else gunning for him but there's already a lot of people gunning for Yeah
0: him. so so kind of jumping jumping back to the line I, I was going to here with the origins of the child here so my kind of theory that I'm going to put out there is that the empire cloned Yoda so that the child is a clone of Yoda because they say he's around 50. And so Hmm. the Mandalorian takes place after episode six. So it's after, after the fall of the empire and it works out that about 50 years ago was right around episode one, Mm -hmm. maybe even slightly before episode one. And we know in episode two, they had the clone Wars, So they had cloning technology back
1: then. Yeah.
0: So I wonder if they cloned Yoda and the plan was to clone Yoda to turn to him
1: dark Yoda, to
0: make him a Sith because Yoda was the most powerful mm-hmm. Jedi force user. And so maybe they were trying to uh, kind of turn him into a Sith.
1: Well, let's just hope that the child doesn't look like Yoda when he grows up. <laughs> so,
0: or, Or the other thing is, you know, we know in episode nine that they cloned Palpatine, right? And, and maybe because they they kind of talk about that they need to extract something from him. They need to extract the material from the child. So it almost seemed like, again, maybe they weren't using the child to turn into a you know a Sith user. Maybe the client had different ideas, or maybe what they are trying to do is they were trying to extract kind of the Force essence out of him because. Sure, in the Clone Wars, they've cloned a ton of people, but none of those people were Force users. If you're trying to clone Palpatine or a powerful Force user, maybe there's you know something else you need. You need you know genetic material from a clone oh, yeah. Force user. So I
1: I yeah. Now I wonder if down the line we're not going to see a Dark Yoda character because we'll find out that in episode or in, in season one they actually did extract the material from the child.
0: Yeah, and I also think I mean there's a potential that. You know they've they made a, a big deal that it's not Baby Yoda, you know that, to not call it that. But I I do almost wonder if this turns out to be Yoda or something or or some way because again in the animated series and this is where I wonder if they're going to tie into the animated series a little bit more. Time travel exists in the animated series and they're mm. able to kind of go through time and you kind of have to wonder if the Mandalorian takes place after Episode six. Why is there not a again? Why did Luke not seek out? The child, because we know in in episodes uh, between six and seven, he is starting a new Jedi Order. He's recruiting Force users because he has Kylo Ren in there. He would have sensed uh, some a creature as powerful as the child, and mm-hmm. so perhaps and kind of what some of the the idea is here that it's because they don't exist in that time because Mando takes the child back in time because that's the only place his species exists. So maybe he's not Yoda exactly, but that they go back in time and, and somehow he ties into Yoda you yeah, know, in the gonna future. Say,
1: I was going to say, I, I mean, I think that
0: maybe he's, he's Yoda's like parent or
1: something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, even if you clone something, it's not going to turn out the same way anyway, because of the way that it's raised and all those experiences can't really possibly be the same, but yeah, it, it, that is an interesting thought though.
0: Yeah, so th- there's a lot of unanswered questions there, but I think they there's a lot of avenues. Again, if they if they do the time travel route, I think if they do the clone route, some people may be disappointed because that's kind of a, a trope that they've played more than once, especially after Episode Nine with Palpatine being a clone. Um, that maybe maybe that was kind of the initial thought with the child here that he was going to be a Yoda clone, but I kind of think the reaction to to Episode Nine may have had them rethink that. But I do think it would be an interesting way to kind of pull in that time travel aspect because, you know, the child had force healing, which is something we hadn't seen before. And so time travel, again, we've seen in the animated series, but we've really not seen it in live action. So that would be something new that they could implement kind of into the canon in this live action show and be a really nice tie into, hey, this is why we don't see them later on because, this is kind of really the origin story for how we almost get to the start of the Jedi order. So it it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what happens uh with season 2 here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's some really interesting characters that are rumored to be in. According to Screen Rant, Rosario Dawson is going to be playing Asaka Tano, which is the like one of the favorite heroes from the Star Wars Clone Wars. You guys, I mean, if you're not really familiar with that, if you saw her, you would recognize her. She's kind of has like orange face, like she has an orange face and really cool, like zebra stripey hair looking. I I mean, I know that's not hair, but it kind of looks like hair. Um, But she's she is a young apprentice to Anakin Skywalker. So she's a really, really cool um, character that they're hoping to incorporate. And then there's all a whole bunch of other slew of other characters that they're talking about, you know, possibly being incorporated in the show as well.
0: Yeah, so I'm really excited for season two. I'm with you though. I wish I could binge this thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of tough when you can only watch one episode a week. It's almost it would almost be better if you could wait till the end of the season and just binge it all at once. The only problem with that is it'd be so hard to avoid say. what happens. I mean, like if you did that with season one, baby Yoda was everywhere after the first week. Right. I mean, you could not miss out Baby it was Yoda. A phenomenon. I mean, people in the in Uh, The rest of the world did not have Disney Plus for months, but they all knew. I mean, there was billboards of Baby Yoda in these foreign countries. I mean, everybody knew by that point what was happening. So I do have to imagine they have some other surprises up their sleeves for season two that -hmm. are going to be pretty amazing. And and so, yeah, I'm just... I can't wait to see it, but yeah, it's kind of like, oh, you have to wait every week to get through it all.
1: It it does give you... I mean... Like, I'm not a rewatcher anymore. I used to be when I was younger. I'd watch movies over and over again. But now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I don't have time to watch things over and over again. You know, it's been a blast rewatching The Mandalorian. So I definitely think that, you know, even if we have to watch it week by week when season two comes out that doesn't prevent you from going back and rewatching it again so you can binge it.
0: Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, Disney's trying to keep subscribers as long as possible. So if they do it week by week, they can get you to get at least two months of Disney plus, (laughs) you know, versus, versus just one and, and binging it all. So, all right. So that, I think that wraps up really excited for season two. We'll definitely talk about season two on the show. I think we may try to do some live streams, recapping season two, on Facebook each week or YouTube.
1: We should do a watch party.
0: We need to try to figure out (laughs) if we can figure out how to get that to work. So it's something we're kind of working on. So that may be something we have uh, coming up some of these weeks. We'll we'll see if we can get that going. But I want to thank everybody again for listening this week like you do every week. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you're new here, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. It really helps. And like we mentioned early in the episode, be sure to tune in next week for an interview with AJ from Disney Food Blog. It is a great one. We know you guys are going to love it.
1: Thank you for lending us your ears.
0: Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye.